This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time. And Taylor, we left off with kind of a cliffhanger last week. You answered the first question uh, in, in great detail from a, from a listener, and there was a lot of really fantastic information in there, and there is a second question that you teased for this episode. I did tease it. So <laughs> we are answering some fan, uh, fantastic email that was sent in by longtime listener Callie. And we distilled it down to four basic questions, which are, how do you distill a narrative from a world in which every detail seems so important, which is what we answered last week? How do you know how much detail and backstory to include? How do you include the detail and backstory and the big one? which wasn't exactly articulated so much as a question, was about how to allow the readers to connect with your character um, in a way that you don't end up having to throw everything in the kitchen sink onto the page. So we're going to continue and hopefully finish all of those questions here uh, in this second part of it. So where we left off last week was with the question, how do I know how much detail and backstory to include? So this question is somewhat answered by the way we reworded it in last week's episode, where I said it it really breaks down into two questions, the second part of which is how do I incorporate enough of the before into this splice so that the splice itself feels like a complete story all of its own, which is to say the answer is you include enough detail that the splice itself feels like a complete story all on its own, and you stop when the detail begins to lead down tangents that take you outside of this immediate story. So if the splice that you're working with, your quote-unquote story, makes sense without the detail, if it continues to retain depth without the detail, then you hold on to that detail for another time. It's not that the detail doesn't matter, or it's not, and it's not that it's not important in the grand scope of the whole big picture that you have inside your head. It's that it doesn't matter enough in the here and now to include it for this splice. There's no rule that you have says you have to fit everything into this one story splice. That's what prequels and sequels and separate storylines are for. So you hold on to it. And using last week's examples of Game of Thrones and Star Wars and Harry Potter, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say it doesn't all have to fit into one volume. And that's what prequels and sequels and separate storylines are for. So if the character's actions or reactions, whether they're inward or outward, don't make sense, without a particular story detail or without some particular piece of history, then obviously you're going to need to include it. But what you have to decide is how much 
of that specific detail or history you want to include. Because no matter how far down the detail and history hierarchy you go, it's like fractals. You know, okay, I need to include this particular piece of history, but that history then has a history, which has a history, which has a history, right? So no matter how far down you go, the goal is still the same. You're shooting for just enough that the immediate makes sense without getting dragged off into tangents that are going to dilute your narrative or your story focus or take you off in a completely different direction. And that part about the tangents is particularly critical for those who write organically and who aren't following any outline that they've developed ahead of time. Now, if your splice makes sense without the detail, but it loses some depth, then it's more of a judgment call. You'll have to decide if that loss of depth is worth the trade-off of having a tighter and more focused narrative. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. That's entirely your call. But what happens if you just don't know? What happens if now that you're in the weeds of these things and you're finally banging your way through this first draft, you're not actually sure what detail or history will end up mattering or not because you don't have a coherent narrative in your head yet. You haven't gotten to the end yet of whatever this splice is going to be. What do you do? You write it all in. That's what you do. This is not a clay tablet. This is not a roll of, of, you know, an illuminated manuscript. If you mess it up, you don't have to throw it out and start over. So you just write it. You write it all. And you write it where you think it should go, and you write it how you think it should go, and you just don't get attached to it. And you don't feel any sense of obligation that now that it's in there, that somehow you have to make it fit. It is in there because you don't know. And it's all fair game, all of it. So once you've finished your first draft and you have this entire narrative worked out from beginning to end, then you'll have plenty of time to go back over it and see if that detail works or it doesn't. And oftentimes I have found the biggest solution to story problems is just deleting stuff. It, it gives you room to de further develop other aspects and you don't end up having to now explain that and, you know, fractal your way all the way down with the history of the history of the history. So don't let trying to figure out how the pieces work or if they work stop you from getting them down in the first place. And that then leads us to the how aspect of this question, the actual how part of it, not how much really. It's how do I incorporate the before into this splice so that the splice itself feels like a complete story all on its own. Originally, it was how much, right? So now it's the how part of it. And Callie already answered this question for us because you incorporate it through flashbacks and through inner dialogue and narrative that explains how those pieces are connected. And these flashbacks, the inner dialogue and the narrative explanations, they show up on the page when they are needed to make sense of what has just happened or what is about to happen. You integrate all these connecting pieces where they matter and when they matter. And it's often by anticipating and pre-answering reader questions like, why did she do that? How did that happen? How did he know? 
And that's when all the explanations start coming in. He knew it because, right? You don't actually have the questions show up in the narrative, but you are answering them so they don't show up because without them, there would be questions, right? That's when this detail, this enormous world that you have in, in your head, that's how it comes into play. And the timing of it is critical because if you wait if you if you present them too soon, if you if you throw stuff in there before it's needed, when it's out of context, it's going to become inflated up. If you wait too late, then the narrative's going to feel disjointed, or that key information is going to feel contrived and inconvenient. So, like if the detail or the history you're incorporating, if it doesn't answer some form of who, why, where, how, or what, or when that directly connects to the scene itself, then there's a really good chance it's extraneous and it doesn't belong, or at the very least, it doesn't belong right there. But that then creates paradox because sometimes, a lot of times, waiting until the right moment to reveal a connected or historical detail is going to end up making it feel all wrong because by placing it exactly where it belongs in the immediate narrative, it feels really convenient, even contrived. Like you just sort of magic that thing up right on the spot to solve some sort of story problem or whatever. And so instead of feeling like it's part of this real well thought out whole, it's going to come across as slipshod or cheap. And that's where foreshadowing comes into play, that you drop hints of the thing and that there's something more and something bigger along the way. So if you pause to think of the three examples that I gave of Star Wars, Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, and you think about how massive those stories are and you think about the timing of how it was that you came to learn what you learned about the past or these extra details that impacted characters' decision-making, you will see that it happened in the story when you needed to know it. But many times, when that detail finally came to light was not the first time you knew of its existence. It's just the first time you were given all the information about it. So that's because it had been formed foreshadowed with hints and clues dropped along the way and foreshadowing like that where you you yourself as the author know that there's so much more to the story but you're not putting it in the story yet because the timing isn't right to the characters in the scenario and the situation so you drop those clues ahead of time not necessarily in the first draft because maybe you in the first draft don't even know that's the brilliance of being able to do multiple drafts is you can go back and go ah this would be a good spot for this but foreshadowing like that, it's laying the foundation so that whatever does get revealed in more detail later, it's not going to feel sudden or contrived. And whenever it finally does arrive, it, it feels right. This actually serves two purposes. So the first is within, within that greater purpose of not, you know, having it feel so that's not contrived or sudden. So the, the first is that it allows you to deepen or richen the story in tiny bits along the way without having to get pulled off into big explanatory tangents that are going to derail your story. And the second is that by default, it's creating built-in questions or little tiny mini mysteries that keep the readers wanting to turn pages so that they 
understand more about this thing that they've been given hints of. And by the time you finally give it to them where it really matters to the story and to the characters, even an actual info dump isn't going to feel like an info dump because they've been waiting for it. They know it's coming. They don't know what, but they know there's something. And when that explanation finally arrives, it could come as big, huge blocks of paragraphical text and no one's going to care because they're just happy to finally know what it is. That's the, that's the, the key to timing and, and why you insert these details when they matter to the immediate aspects of your story splice. And that leads us to the big one, which is the sand trap of knowing your character so well and feeling like you're falling short in getting that character onto the page, which results in you throwing everything you have and more onto the page in the hope that the reader has enough information to understand the character too. Can I just stop right and, here and, and yeah. remark on the fact that I think this is the first time you've ever used a sports metaphor? I did. Yes. Use one? S- sand trap. <laughs> I don't even... Oh. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) I do it all the time. I think that's your first. (laughs) Golf is a sport. Okay. Um. (laughs) All right. And now back to the show. All right. So the reason this is such a sand trap is I feel like I'm stepping into a sand trap saying this because I'm about to kind of, I don't know, tell you that I think I know you better than yourself, which Forgive me, please. This is not specific to the question. The person asking this question is just very generalized. But the reason that this is such a sand trap is because there's a really high chance you don't know your characters as well as you think you do. And by that, what I mean is you know everything that's happened to them and you know how your characters feel but you aren't able to articulate exactly why they feel what they feel. Because if you were able to articulate it, then you wouldn't need to throw everything and the kitchen sink onto the pitch. So you know your characters and you know why they're, they, you know that they are feeling these things and you know all the things that have happened, but you don't know the specific psychological mechanisms of what's going on in their inner world to narrow down into which one of those things has caused them to react and feel the way that they do. That's part one. The other half of it is this urgency that you feel that's causing you to want to throw everything on the page is because you want your readers to feel the same way you feel when you place yourself inside your character's heads. So what I mean is it's, it's a situation of showing your reader all these things about your character and saying, and now I want you to feel the way I feel about these things that have happened to my character. And I want you to love my character the way I love my character. And I want you to empathize with the way I empathize for the same reasons. And that's impossible because you are not your character and your character is not you. And the only way your readers can ever feel anything about your character is if they are able to experience what your character experiences. So 
if you are feeling the need to throw everything out there in the hopes of generating that emotion, then it means you are not showing the reader or allowing them to step into your character's head so they can feel it for themselves. You're telling the reader and you're trying to generate emotion by talking about what your character feels instead of allowing the reader to live it for themselves. And it is very much a show versus tell issue. And that's the sand trap. Because the only way to dig yourself out of it is to stop trying to convince the reader by telling them the things and instead let them experience it for themselves. And that involves creating the scenes and, and, and bringing your character alive. If you are, haven't even finished your first draft yet, well, of course, you're going to want to throw everything at the reader because you don't actually know the actual scenes and what's taking place and what your character is doing and how they're moving. All of that comes through the, the writing process. And if you do it right, the reader is going to feel and connect. And it may not be the same as what you feel or how you connect with that character. But the point isn't to make it the same. The point is to make space for that empathy and for that connection to exist at all and for it to exist on the reader's terms because the emotion and the empathy that the reader generates for themselves as they are experiencing what the character experiences, those are the only terms that matter. So the whole aspect of what is show and tell, show versus tell, that is a whole other episode all on its own because there is a lot of misunderstanding of what it means to show your character doing something. But I'm going to boil it down to its essence and say showing is essentially allowing your reader to step into your character's shoes and experience what the character is experiencing and that's what generates the emotion is the, the being it. It doesn't matter how much you throw at them, how much you tell them, they will never, never, never be able to feel it unless they're able to feel like they're living it. And that's all I got. All right. That, that was fantastic. And as you were talking about um, empathy and emotion, uh, I had a couple of questions and then I just wanted to share a story. Um, questions, are there good times and bad times in, in terms of narrative flow to build that empathy with the character? Like, do is that something we want to do in the beginning? Is it something that we want to do throughout the book? Um, how, if, if it's in the beginning, how hard do we want to work at it in the beginning and how important is it? That's a lot of questions. That's a lot of questions. Um, you know, I, I don't really think there's a straightforward answer because every story is going to be different. Genres are different. Expectations are different. It's very situational. I would say that you want the reader to connect with your character nearly as soon as they show up on the page. But, you know, characters, there's lots of characters in books. Unless you're writing a book where there's one lone person out in the wilderness for the entire length of the story, the sto your, your splice, your story is going to have multiple characters and every character, it's the same. The, the, the issues are the same. You do not want 
your reader to be able to feel as if only your hero is alive and everybody else is just wooden cardboard cutouts. Because then, by default, that diminishes your main character. So all characters need to feel real and alive. And which ones your, your reader empathizes with is going to have so much to do with that reader's own life experiences and, and what they themselves are bringing into the story. And I don't think it's something that you can work on or plan. Maybe some authors can. I, I don't. For me, it's just a matter of making sure that everything is as immediate as possible and that you can experience what that character is experiencing in the moment from the very first time that they show up on the page all the way to the end. To keep to to avoid the grit, to keep the immediacy, to see things as close through their eyes as possible using that first-person shooter perspective that we've talked about before, as long as that's something that you feel is part of your voice or your style. Um, just staying close to the character, all of those things of letting us experience what they're experiencing, their fear, their joy, their their frustrations, their desires, all of that is what generates empathy. And good storytelling is going to have that show up on every page. It's not something that you would plan out in terms of let's do it here. Okay, thank you. So that that answers that question. It also leads into um, what I wanted to share. I was both reading and listening to with one of those audio, um, audio, well, an Amazon thing where you get both the audio book and the ebook. Yeah, the whisper and you read some where you can, and you listen yeah. to some. Yeah, so I was out, and you told me years ago that you know once we go down this path, it it might harm your love of reading because you'll see all these things that are going on. And as I was reading slash listening to this this book. I knew exactly from a from the midpoint of the book. I knew exactly how it was going to end, and it wasn't it wasn't like I knew the the tricky ending or anything like that. But I knew how the book would end, um, what would happen to the character, what this special little thing would be at the end to really tie it all together. And I just wanted, you know, I, I kept listening because I was enjoying the story, and it got to the end, and the end was so well done. And it was written with such emotion, and we were so into the character that he, despite the fact that I knew what was going to happen, as I was on my walk, I had tears running down my face listening wow. to what had happened. And it was, it was brilliantly done. And um, wow. so I got home. I didn't even finish my walk. I got home. The book was over. And I came in the house so that I could order the next book. So I could continue the story on my walk. I didn't want to switch to something else. I wanted to get right back to the story. And that's sort of the value to being able to, to tie it all together in the way that you're talking about. Yes, to build that empathy with the reader so that the reader feels. But it has to come through the reader. You cannot force it. And I do have a very, what I think is a clear example of how this mechanism works psychologically. It's in one of the earlier Hack the Craft um, uh, tutorials that I put up on uh, Patreon quite some time ago, back when I thought I was going to be making a lot faster headway in it. And it's rough. I think if I had to go back and do, if I, I would probably go back and redo it over because I've, I've gained some clarity in my own thinking of how to explain these, these things. But it's still there, and it. I think it's a fantastic uh, explanation of how to 
generate that emotion in your readers and, and why it works and why it doesn't. Um, and, and the only way to find it is to go into the hack, the crap, to go into my Patreon account, which is Taylor Stevens, Patreon.com, uh, <laughs> Patreon.com, Taylor Stevens. And, um, you have to find the hack, the craft, um, uh, tag and go way, way back in the time machine. And you'll find some that are only available on some of the higher tiers. And it's, it's in there. And those, those tutorials, as I did them as, I don't know, I would say flawed still as they are, mispronounced things, whatever. Um, they have a lot of really good information specific to this subject if you want to take it to the next level. And amazingly enough, we are at 25 minutes, which is perfect because that's where we want to be, despite the fact that we oftentimes wind up over 40 minutes. Uh, so... This is a great couple of episodes, so thank you, Callie, for uh, for the, such a great email and those and those questions and uh, inspiring such in depth thought from from Taylor. Fantastic. Yes, thank you. And if if perchance these have not answered your questions fully and you feel like yeah, but what about? Feel free to come back with the but, but what about, and it'll just let us continue the continue the conversation and take us a level deeper on it. All right. Well, thank you all very much for listening. We will be back in your ear next Tuesday. See you guys next week.